Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Uh, we're in a, a few week law in between our series we had preached on First and Second Peter, and we will be starting in a few weeks on the book of Hebrews. Who is most worthy of imitation? in your mind, and what does that look like? What is good imitation? What is it that we want to imitate, that we want to be like? Uh, That's what our passage addresses to us today. Uh, The setting is Jesus with his innermost followers uh, on that Last evening before his arrest and crucifixion, when he has gathered them to have a final meal with them and to present teaching before Jesus leaves this world through crucifixion. We read now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but my hands and my head also. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, put on his outer garments and returned to his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, 
Blessed are you if you do them. Our Heavenly Father, we come asking for needing your presence. That your spirit would awaken in us understanding that is needed to lift up values that we are not valuing. To, to help us see life more clearly, more like Christ. We ask for grace with understanding what does this mean as we leave here? How do we use this in life? We, we ask for that grace. Guide us. What you have for us, uh, be persistent in poking at our heart and mind with this. That we would not let it pass by, but it would take root. For the glory of Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To imitate Jesus, we see clearly here, is to take up the attitude and the lifestyle of a servant. As a church, it is that we would have a culture of serving one another and those that, that come into our midst. In this passage, we see three ways that embracing biblical servanthood helps us to have our lives shaped to be more like Jesus. If we all recognize and would quickly say that he is the one worthy to imitate. We are being helped here not only by seeing the value of servanthood, but by seeing how stepping into taking seriously what it means to serve helps to shape us in all sorts of ways to be more like Jesus. We'll see three of those. The first is that servanthood helps us inwardly to grow in the essential character of humility. Servanthood helps us inwardly to grow in the character of humility, which is essential for the Christian life to be like Christ. The disciples were shocked and embarrassed as Jesus began to wash their feet. Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And then he goes even further, you'll never wash my feet. Now, why did they respond so strongly? It's because in their mind, what Jesus was doing was, was demeaning that was not the role of someone who is a leader, someone who is an honored person. They felt uncomfortable with the position Jesus put himself in. He was, not, he was too worthy to be someone washing feet. Jesus is constantly turning over the way we think. Our culture tells us it is Better to be served. And our sinful nature tells us we deserve to be served. We deserve that life is centered around us. But Christ introduces us, he calls us to a value system that is completely foreign to the culture of the world and completely foreign to our sinful nature. Jesus' entire earthly life 
was immersed in humility and servanthood. It's how Jesus came into the world. God could have arranged the birth of Jesus to be in any place, in any form. God purposely started the life of the Christ. He introduced him into this world by having him be born in the most humbled means possible. It was a statement of God about his son, how his son would live, what he would value. It's how Jesus conducted his earthly ministry. Constantly in humility, hanging out with a group of people that would drive any of us crazy. Meaning people like you. (laughs) Jesus could have conducted his ministry from any place. Do we not realize that Jesus, if he had wanted, could have forced his way by the sheer power and magnitude of miracles. He could have entered into any royal court, any place of rule and authority. He could have performed miracles of such measure in such number that all would have stood aside. He could have come in anywhere for his ministry. And yet he walked dusty roads in backwater towns to minister to people who had no hope and no means for help but what he brought to them. Humility and servanthood is how he left this world in death. There is No gospel without servanthood. There is no gospel without humility. And so there's no Christianity. There's no Christ-likeness without serving heart, without humility. Because serving is not demeaning. The most Worthy person who exists in the entirety of the universe gladly came serving. Verse 14, if I then your Lord, the one who is not just Lord over this band, the one who is Lord of all, if I the one who is the Lord, the teacher, if I have washed your feet, If I have served you, if I have shown you this humble way, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example. You should do just as I have done for you. Now, it's it's not that I think anyone here is rejecting these truths. As you hear them, you're thinking, yes, that's right. That's what the Bible says. We don't reject them, but we do struggle to embrace them. Pride incessantly just keeps nudging at us. Start with yourself. 
be impressive, make people think well of you. And that's just constantly at us, nudging us. Pride claims to be looking out for us. Pride says, I'm your friend. I want to help you out. Yet the reality is pride is no friend and it, it leads to the destruction of lives, of relationships, the tearing apart of churches. We know we're supposed to be humble. But if we're honest inside, it, it, it can feel as though it, it'll place us at a disadvantage. I, well, we can be humble at times and places, but to really live a lifestyle, ongoing humility, that's the orientation, the way we start, the way we enter every situation through servanthood, through humility. We, it, if that's the way I always approach life, I'm, I'm going to be at the disadvantage because everyone else is going to step in and I'm going to be left behind. I'm not going to get what others will get. They're going to get it first. How important is it for us to get these values right? Pride, humility. Listen to this one statement in James chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud. And God gives grace to the humble. That's a staggering difference. There is a group of people to whom God has set himself against them. He is opposed to them. And there, there's a group whom God says, my grace flows upon them. Uh, what is it that you need? Is not grace what all of us need most? Do we not need grace in every area of our life? Where do you not need God's grace? The only thing we need God opposed to is our sin to help us cast it out. We need to prioritize humility. It needs to be a high value. But as vital as this is to us, as clear as the Bible has put it, humility doesn't overtake us. We don't become a Christian and then within a few weeks, humility just runs up, joins us, and then for the rest of our lives, you know, we in humility, we're just buddies, friends, hanging out. Humility doesn't catch up to us. We have to press ourselves unnaturally into it. Servanthood is a necessary part of helping us to consider, to press into, to live out humility. Servanthood helps us to have that perspective in life. 
Servanthood helps us to orient the way we go through life to be more like Jesus. A passage that brings all of this together very strongly is Philippians chapter 2. Here we have one of the most theologically rich statements in all of the Bible. And yet this wonderful statement speaking to us of the magnitude of Christ is given for the purpose of helping us who struggle to embrace humility and servanthood. Uh, Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but instead of in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And we hear that, that's hard. If there's any degree of honesty within, that's not easy. Which is why the Apostle Paul continues and, and gives us the example of Jesus. Have this mind in you. Have this attitude, this perspective, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The Bible doesn't really give us any wiggle room here. How do I get out of this? We don't. Not if we take the Bible seriously. Not if we take Jesus seriously. There is no way around it. It's, it's how Jesus stands. Servanthood, the practice of it. What does it mean for me to to be a part of life in the situations by showing care and and helping and humbling myself? This is, is putting flesh on the bones of humility. That's what the serving does. It helps us to practice, to work at it. Servanthood is developing an awareness of people around us. What's going on? What is needed? What are people going through? It's the slowing down of pace to consider. Not just the obvious and outward. Oh, that looks too heavy. Let me help them pick that up. It's what is going on in people's hearts and lives? What's, what's hard? What's hurting? And thinking, what does it mean to show care, to step in? We can look at that as the burden of following Christ, or, or we can look at it 
as part of the beauty and the privilege of following Christ. To bring care and help to people. Servanthood is acting on the command to count others more significant than ourselves. And so at at Green Tree, it's not that we want to have lots of people who are servant-hearted. We want everyone to be servant-hearted. And so servanthood helps us inwardly to grow in the essential character of humility that we might be more like Christ. Secondly, servanthood helps us outwardly to show people that we love them to be more like Christ. In verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He he loved them as far as it is possible to love them. His commitment was full and endless. Notice how the Apostle John makes it clear how how much love had to do with what Jesus did. Jesus' action here was meant to teach. He tells them that. It it was an example. He, He tells them that. Yet, most fundamentally, what Jesus did was his display of love to the disciples. He Love them to the end. And so, he served them in that humble way that they might see and understand what was in his heart, his heart toward them, his heart toward the world. What does it mean to be like our Jesus? Love's beauty and power is that it, it leads us to care for people beyond expectations. Now, people may expect that you're going to open a door for them when their hands are, are filled with boxes. People are not going to expect that you stop what you're doing, put it on hold to want to know what's going on and to spend time and to seemingly push your life kind of in the backdrop because you want them to know how important what's in their life is to you. Serving is is meant to be a way to show our hearts for people that the gospel has changed us and there is this growing love. Jesus' disciples, they had seen Jesus serving in numbers of ways at numbers of times. This wasn't new to them concerning the character of Jesus, but it it was at a level that did shock them. It did pause 
them who had lived with Jesus to step back and kind of struggle to understand what is he doing and what does it mean for us? And isn't that the gospel? Beyond expectation. The work of God that shocks us that we could never have dreamed of. It would never have entered into the minds of anyone in this world that the wondrous, eternal, all-powerful God would forever take our nature and our flesh and put himself into it and be man as well as God and live in this world and be mistreated and misunderstood and bear it all and that was enough and then he bore the guilt of our sin which had us condemned rightly before God and he gathered it to himself knowingly every sin pulling them dying bearing the wrath of God so the price would be paid in full then rising from the grave saying I promise life to all who entrusted me and there's Nothing you have to do to deserve it. There's not a single step to take other than just believe. And if you can't believe, call on me and I will give you the faith to believe. And you will forever be my beloved child. There's nothing reasonable there's nothing expected, but it is what God is like. And to the measure that is possible for us, he, he wants us to be like that. It cannot be in degree. It can be in direction, in intention, and in heart. Gospel is the ultimate display of love and sacrifice. For love calls us to serve beyond the limits of convenience. Paul Miller, uh, who is the leader of uh, Seeing Jesus, an international discipleship program, his best known book is A Praying Life, but he has some other excellent books that deal with love and action and uh, my, my now favorite quote on love comes from one of his books where he, he says, love is not efficient. Love it's not efficient. Efficiency is getting things done. Check it off the list. Completing it, having more, doing more. Love is stopping, sacrificing, bending low, putting off, taking on. Love is not efficient. But love is wonderful and powerful. Love has us spending our money on other people. 
putting off all that the world says to get for yourself that we might serve the people of God and the gospel of God. Love is seemingly placing ourselves in the lesser role and being content because what we want most is to be used by God. Efficiency masquerading as love wants to fix people quick and move on. Oh, you've got a problem? No problem. I happen to have a lot of good opinions. You have a problem? I've got things to say. Let me tell you what you should do. Give them our opinion, maybe a nice little verse or two. Move on. Let's solve another problem. Let's fix another life. Uh, But just hanging out in the mess Love sticks around. Love encamps itself with those who are not quickly and easily fixed. Imagine if all of us were fully committed to sticking it out regardless of offenses against us regardless of their bad attitude and what they should have said or shouldn't have said or should believe or should have done. What if all of us stuck it out for no other reason than God has put us here and we love each other and we want to live in love and just stick it out with those whom God has gathered around us. I think a a church like that is, is a place that has deep roots that when the storm comes, it doesn't topple over. A a church like that uh, is providing broad and ample shade for people to come and find rest. A church like that has abundant fruit in every season. Love calls us to serve beyond the limits of convenience. And it calls us to serve the unlovely. We have to ask because the, the passage is wanting us to notice, clearly wanting us to notice What about Judas' feet, who was in this moment scheming to betray his Lord, the Christ? Verse 2, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Verse 11, Jesus knew who was betray him. And yet, Jesus didn't 
pass over Judas' feet. He, when he came to Jesus, to Judas, he washed his feet. He, he had to have looked into Judas's eyes. What was Jesus thinking? What was Judas thinking? As Jesus washed his betrayer's feet. There, there is depth there beyond us. But we can say this. It leaves us no room to say. But no, you don't know what they did. The unlovely are those distasteful to us. Those to whom we have no natural inclination to include, to love. Those for whom we feel we have good reason not to include. Now, I've heard this general point over the years applied in messages and in books over and over again you know, to the people that come in impoverished and homeless and looking messy and not knowing really how to act, that you know, the church should give attention to them, which is very true. And to be honest, I, th I think churches generally do. I've seen this church do that many times. What may be a bigger challenge and actually fits even more clearly into the role of Judas and Jesus. Those distasteful and unlovely, uh, we, we apply that also to our cultural and political opposites that we love them. Doesn't mean we're agreeing and joining but that we love them. That's what Judas was for Jesus. We want the church, this church, to create an infectious culture of servanthood. But we are so struck by how the gospel serves us, that we never think we've served one another enough, let alone too much. And then as, as people enter in, they are seeing on display what is beyond expectation. And they are experiencing our loving them in the way that people who know them well and they know love them treat them. And they enter in and find that we are we're more than friendly. We're, we're listening. We're wanting to be known and to know. We're wanting to know how we can bring care. We're thinking about their situation. We're wanting connection with them. Servanthood, thirdly, not only helps us inwardly to grow in humility, outwardly that we show people love for them, 
but upwardly to remain God-focused, God-centered. Verses 3 and 5, 3 to 5, Jesus, knowing the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from the Father, was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, taking a towel, tied it around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Embracing the lifestyle of servanthood reinforces that life's not about us. That it is a preeminently, it's about God. What is his agenda? Who are we trying to please most? Serving stops us from starting with us and being self-centered. It, it's helping us to consider we're from God and we're going back to him. And how should that lead the way that we live? Jesus lived with his eyes fixed on the will of the Father constantly. He spoke of it. He, he lived for and followed the Father's will at all times. He never forgot that the Father had sent him, and he was always mindful that he was returning to the Father. This passage, again, at the beginning, is setting the stage for our understanding what takes place by pointing out this perspective Jesus had concerning the Father and the Father's will. And by grace, that applies to us. We belong to the Father. We, we're here for him, and we are going back to him. That's what our life is made of, being sent from the Father and going to return to him. That's our perspective. Now we know why we're here. For the Father, for his will, because we're returning to him. It helps everything now. How do I value life? The Father's will and all things flowing down from that. The world cannot see that, will not see it. By grace we do. And through that, the world can start to make sense in terms of how do we live in it. Servanthood reinforces that pr the privileges we have in Christ are not rights we protect. They are freedoms that we use. Uh, the Apostle Paul makes that clear in, in how he thought about servanthood in 1 Corinthians 9.19. Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So to Paul, rights and privileges were what you use to serve and to reach, not protect and don't infringe upon. We can't impress God by what we do here. Putting together this accumulation of works and actions so that we enter heaven with, wow, do, do you see this? All the angels coming around, wow, look what you did. 
We can't accumulate to impress heaven. Here's what we can do. We can be sending, sending to God a constant flow of labor that honors him. That we can do. We can be constantly pleasing him, serving him, and sending that which he uses to add to his kingdom. Jesus didn't dabble at servanthood. He could have just gathered the dishes after the Last Supper. Or you know, he could have just gotten their cloaks as they came in. That would have been serving. And they would, no, Jesus, you know, I'll do that. No, Jesus, you, you don't get the dishes. No, I want you to know I'm here to serve. And that would have been serving. But Jesus was not a gather the dishes or take your cloaks servant. He was a, I'm going to wash your feet servant. It's not to minimize the other. It's to show how deeply committed he was to this. Do we show up with the servant's towel? wrapped around our heart or do we show up ready to prop up our feet? I'll let your fast minds draw the conclusions that should be drawn. I'll close with this. Ultimately, our motivation for servanthood is that we want to honor God. Above all the other things we desire and get caught up with, above it all, we want to truly be great commandment people who love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We, we want to be people who are more like Jesus. We want to be people led by the Holy Spirit so that our lives just flow with his works. We want to be people who are strength to this church we love. We want to hear the Lord say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So how significant is servanthood? It helps us to grow in humility. It helps us to display love. It helps us to be God-centered. And it helps us to be like Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, speak to us that there would be rooting taking place, self-examination of attitude of priorities, that there would be encouragement for where there is faithfulness, where we are taking steps. Help us to see what is worthy and 
And what isn't worth as much as the value we place on it? Most of all, help us to see clearly Jesus, that we might know his heart and to follow him in it. In his name we pray, amen.